Welcome from the banks of the Rappahannock River on the campus of St. Margaret School in Tappahannock, Virginia. I am Autumn Courtney, and this is the Daily Thistle for Monday, February 21st, 2022. On the river today, the sun rises at 6.49 a.m. and sets at 5.55 p.m. A low tide will appear at 7.42 a.m. and a high tide at 1.34 p.m. This evening, another low tide will appear at 7.06 p.m. On this President's Day, we will share certain aspects in the life of President James Garfield. On July 2, 1881, James Ephraim Garfield was shot in a Washington train station by a would-be assassin. The lead bullet that tore through the president's back on that summer morning did not kill him. Instead, it plunged Garfield, his family, and the entire nation into a nightmare that seemed impossible to believe it was tragically real. Although born into poverty, Garfield's life was marked from the start with astonishing achievements. Named a professor of literature in ancient languages as a college sophomore, he was a college president by the age of 26. While in Congress, he wrote an original proof of the Pythagorean theorem. A fierce abolitionist, Garfield was hailed a hero during the Civil War and after was a passionate advocate for the rights of freed slaves. At the Republican Convention in 1880, Garfield suddenly found himself thrust into the presidential race after giving a speech that deeply stirred the crowd momentum for his nomination steadily grew. Despite his fervent objections, the convention finally ended with Garfield as a Republican standard bearer. Historian Candace Millard In the 130 years since Garfield's death, his story has been largely forgotten. But even at the time, even though the entire nation, the entire world was watching, no one really understood what was happening. What began as a shooting became an incredible struggle for power and ambition. The result was the brutal death of one of our most promising leaders at the hands of his own physicians. This is an intimate, heartbreaking story of ignorance versus science, greed versus heroism. To me, though, what is more inspirational and more astonishing, even than Garfield's brilliance, was his decency. Garfield was the calmest, wisest man in the room. He was a good, kind, honest man who was just trying his best. He was a real person, not consumed by ego and ambition, someone who was simply trying to do the right thing. Even after 17 years in Congress, in one of the most ruthless, vicious eras of machine politics, Garfield never changed. His friends used to marvel at his patience and forbearance, even in the face of the most brutal personal attacks. But Garfield was incapable of holding a grudge. He used to just shrug and say, I'm a poor hater. Although Garfield took his presidency very seriously, he had never had what he called presidential fever. In fact, he never really ran for any office. People asked him to run, and he did, but he would never even campaign. 
he always made it clear that he was going to follow his own conscience and convictions. And if people didn't agree with him, they shouldn't vote for him. He said that assassination can no more be guarded against than death by lightning. And it's best not to worry about either. He walked all around the city by himself all the time. In fact, one night he left the White House. He walked down the street to his Secretary of State's house. They walked alone together through the streets of Washington with Guiteau following them the entire way holding a loaded gun. In fact, by the time, by that time, Guiteau had been stalking the president for weeks. He had even followed him to church and had considered shooting him in church. Finally, he made his decision. The president he knew would be at the Baltimore and Potomac train station in Washington, D.C. on the morning of July 2nd, 1881, and Guiteau would be waiting. The moment, Guiteau, or the moment Garfield walked into the station that morning, Guiteau stepped out of the shadows and shot him twice. The first bullet hit the president in the arm. A second ripped through his back. By an incredible stroke of, of luck, however, Guiteau didn't kill Garfield. He only wounded him. The bullet that tore through his back didn't hit his spinal cord. It didn't hit any vital organs. Today, he would have spent a few nights in the hospital. Even if he had just been left alone, he almost certainly would have survived. Unfortunately for Garfield and the nation, President Dr. Bliss stepped in. The renowned British surgeon Joseph Lister had discovered antisepsis, the prevention of infection by destroying germs, 16 years earlier. The death rate in his surgical ward had plummeted and he had traveled all around begging doctors to sterilize their hands and their instruments and warning them that if they didn't, they ran the very real risk of killing their patients. By 1881, antisepsis was widely accepted in Europe, but the most experienced and respected doctors in the United States still dismissed it as useless, even dangerous. Some still didn't even really believe in germs. They laughingly referred to them as invisible germs, and they certainly didn't want to go to all the trouble that antisepsis required to kill them. They took great pride in what they called the good old surgical stink. They would not change or wash their surgical aprons because they believed that the more blood and pus that was encrusted on them, the more experience it showed. Even those who tried antisepsis had little success for reasons that today seem painfully clear. They would sterilize their knives, but if they dropped them during surgery, they would just pick them up and continue using them. If they needed both of their hands during surgery, they would hold the knife in their teeth and then use it. Even Alexander Graham Bell could not outrace the infection that was coursing through Garfield's body. The story, however, doesn't end there. Garfield's death brought about tremendous changes, changes in medicine, in politics, in the fabric of our nation. As soon as Garfield's autopsy was released, the American people understood that their president didn't have to die, and they understood why he did. Bliss was publicly disgraced, and antisepsis was adopted across the country. Americans turned their rage and their grief on the political system that had encouraged a madman like Guiteau. 
Chester Arthur himself, who owed his entire career to patronage, signed the Pendleton Act, which was the beginning of the end of the spoil system. Garfield's death also brought the country together in a way that had not been seen since the Civil War. Lincoln's assassination had only deepened that divide, but Garfield had been the first president who was accepted by the South since the Civil War. He was accepted as a leader of the whole country, North and South, immigrant and pioneer, freedman and former slave owner. His death was their loss and their common grief brought them together. In news from the BBC. BBC News with Chris Barrow. President Biden has agreed in principle to hold a summit with his Russian counterparts to discuss Ukraine. In a TV interview, the US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, said President Biden was willing to meet Vladimir Putin at any time, in any format, if that can help prevent a war. Protests broke out in cities across Morocco on Sunday against rising prices and to commemorate the 11th anniversary of the launch of a major reform movement. February 20th was a pro-reform and anti-corruption group born out of the Arab Spring uprisings that rocked the Middle East in 2011. The Dominican Republic has begun the construction of a new barrier along part of its border with Haiti. The barrier will be much taller than the current fence and will be equipped with cameras and lights. The British entrepreneur and YouTube star Jamal Edwards has died at the age of 31. He was the founder of SBTV, an online urban music platform which helped launch the careers of artists such as Ed Sheeran, Skepta and Dave. And that's the latest BBC News. Listening to the nation's only independent school news feed from the banks of the Rappahannock River here on the campus of St. Margaret's School in Tabahannock, Virginia. I am Autumn Courtney, and this was your Daily Thistle. As you grow in age, may you grow in grace.